Thanks, Phil, and thanks for praying. It's great to be here. My name's Pete Stacey. I'm the evening pastor here. I'm going to move this mic away. Can you still hear me? Yep, got a nod from the back. That's a good thing. Um, as you probably picked up from that short reading, some of you are probably still flipping, weren't you, trying to find it? Well, it was already uh, finished. But uh, keep it open there, uh, because today we're talking about love and work. How do we honour God in those aspects of our lives? And because it's such a short passage, what I want to do uh, is also spend a bit of time exploring work in a bit more detail. It takes up a, an enormous part of our lives to get uh, in life. Uh, and exploring how we can honour God in that aspect of our lives. Uh, we've been working our way through this little book of the Bible. Uh, so before we launch into this particular passage, let's just briefly recap where we've been. Chapters 1 to uh, 3, uh, Paul was so excited, so uh, delighted, so relieved, I think, that he finally heard good news about the church in Thessalonica. He'd only been there a few weeks before he got chased out of town and uh, left these very new believers with hardly any teaching. And um, he finally got the report that not only were they still trusting in Jesus, but they were flourishing in their faith and in their love and uh, just wonderful report. And then in chapters 4 and 5, which we're in now, uh, he starts to give them some good, solid, nourishing teaching about how they can actually live to please God. Uh, that's what they were lacking. And it's really practical stuff. It's really helpful and relevant teaching. It's how we live out our faith in daily life. It's what we do as Christians. But it's all undergirded by two principles, two priorities that in fact we find from cover to cover in the Bible. Uh, see the phrase more and more. It's there in verse 10. Uh, in fact, if you skim back up to the start of the chapter, verse 1, you'll see that phrase as well, more and more. Verse 1 says, We instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. At the very beginning of all this doing stuff, this living out our faith, is the priority of pleasing God. The Christian life is about a, a relationship with the living God, not just rules. Then jump back to, into today's passage, verses 9 and 10. It says, About your love for one another, we don't need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God. What an amazing thing to say. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Priority number two, love other people. Love God, love people. Sounds really familiar, doesn't it? I mean, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? This was his response, summing up all of the Old Testament in Mark chapter 12. He says this, love the Lord your God. With all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So there you go. All the practical stuff of the Christian life is summed up by two simple truths. Love God and love other people. It says in verse 10 that they've been taught by God to love each other. So when we get God... Our love for God in place, God in our hearts. Uh, it's wonderful because, you see, God invented love. 
God is, is so synonymous with what love is that John actually described it as God is love. And so when we have God in his rightful place in our hearts, he teaches us how to love. And he does that through his word. Did you know that the word love is used 686 times in the Bible? Spent me a long time this week. Just one, two. No, I don't know. You can search it online, right? Yeah. Um, but, but not just the word. The, the theme of love is the dominant theme in the whole of the Bible. Of course, God showed us his love most clearly in the life death and resurrection of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And by God's Holy Spirit living in our hearts, he confirms that God loves us and he gives us strength to love. Wonderful. Now, if I get a jug of water and start tipping it out, perhaps on the plants in the foyer there, just to keep the plants in the foyer going as an illustration, yeah, it'll run out pretty quick. But if I get the fire hose and shove it in the lid of the jug and then start pouring out, I can pour out for as long as I like. It's a bit like that with us. Try and pour out love and without God pouring into us and we'll run dry. But have God's love in our hearts, daily being nourished by, by time with him, and we can keep pouring out into the lives of others. Paul continues in verse 12. Look at it there with me. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And I've got to say, I had a chuckle when I read that. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul, right? When was his life ever quiet? <laughs> Everywhere he went, it seemed like there was riots and persecution and intensity. Oh, thankfully, he explains what he means in the very next bit. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Mind your own business, he says, and work with your hands. See, when you're busy with your own hands on your own work, you have a lot less time to be a busy body with other people's work. Uh, this was clearly a problem for the church in Thessalonica because a few months after writing this, he wrote them another letter and listened to a bit of what he says to them in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. I remember my grandmother saying to me once, idle hands are a devil's playground. Now, I'm sure it wasn't because I was doing anything naughty, uh, but <clears throat> maybe. But uh, so often when we're left to ourselves with too much time on our hands, we waste it. Or, or worse, we get caught in sinful pastimes. God blesses us with his good gift of work and his good gift of rest from work. So I, I thought, you know, as we approach Christmas, a lot of us have been having some time off uh, over the certainly you know, school and univer university. That holiday just goes on forever. Um, can I just encourage us all, as we have time off, think clearly, think creatively about how you can honour God with the rest he generously gives us instead of getting caught in our own sinfulness. 
And I think we get caught, uh, some of this because we compartmentalise life. Like, you know, like church and youth group, Bible study, that's kind of the spiritual part of life. And then, well, work, I mean, that's a big chunk. That's kind of the secular part of life. And then home and recreation, that's my part of life and no one's going to get their hands on that. But Jesus said his work was to do the will of the Father. Now, when did he ever stop doing that? Never. He's always doing the Father's will. So if we're to become more like Jesus, we need to learn to see all of life, including our 5, 8, 10, 12 hours a day of work, as an act of devotion to God our Heavenly Father. And did you notice that at the end of verse 12, Paul gives two reasons for godly work. Number one, respect from outsiders. And secondly, not being dependent on anyone. Outsiders simply means unbelievers, people who are outside our church family at this point in time. Uh, they'll respect you for being godly, a godly worker. And they might not, never say it or show it, but it greatly improves our witness to them. But don't be over-concerned about your witness to outsiders as though your behaviour uh, is going to sort of bring them to salvation or something like that, or their salvation depends on you. Uh, be a good ambassador for God, but remember, people are saved by God's grace to them in Christ. At the same time, don't be under-concerned about your witness to outsiders either, as if it doesn't matter at all how you live and how you work and how you relate a kind of I don't care what others think type of attitude. The gospel is what saves. But the gospel nearly always comes through people. And that person might be you in your workplace. Our unbelieving friends might never read the Bible for themselves, but they read our lives. So let's make sure they see God in our attitude and in our dedication to our work. And that last bit, not being dependent on anybody. By God's kindness, paid work means we're able to provide for our own needs and be generous towards the needs of others and give to gospel ministry. Now, this is most likely what's going on back there in verse 10, where their love for all of God's family throughout Macedonia was clearly seen. There was no government social welfare at those times, so the poor relied on gifts from others. And the early church was known for generosity. That's why supporting others is one of our guiding statements as a church. And that's the four verses. So, so what I want to do now is spend a bit of time just exploring and unpacking what it means to honour God with our work, with our lives in the workplace. But as I, uh, as I do, I'm very conscious that some people are unemployed. Some people can't work due to injury or illness or family circumstances. Some people have retired. Some people are too young to get a job and, and so on. So I want to give you a simple definition that I think fits all of us in. And uh, it's simple uh, and it's biblical. Here it is on the screen. Work is honouring God with the productive use of our time. 
Work is honouring God with the productive use of our time. Now, of course, I could add all sorts of caveats and details to flesh that out. Uh, But let's see how, uh, as we track through the Bible now, see how this theme plays out. Now, I'm using a lot of ideas from a book called Faith Goes to Work by a bloke called Robert Banks uh, to show how we can honour God in all kinds of work. According to the Bible, there's four great stages of history. Creation, find that in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And then the fall, Genesis chapter 3, where where sin impacts every part of uh, creation. And then redemption. That's God's saving work that climaxes with Jesus' death and resurrection. And it's all leading towards the new creation when Jesus returns. God made the world. We can't erect it. He's fixing it up for a perfect future. Sounds good, doesn't it? Well, the first thing to note as we look at creation is that God works. He's working. In the very first chapter of the Bible, God's creating everything. And he made Adam and Eve in his image and gave them work to do. And this is before sin entered the world. See, work is not evil. It's not a a side effect of sin. Work is a good gift from a loving God. Work is something we're built for, something our loving Creator intends for our good. Remember when God finished all of His work of creating, He said, it is very good. And that includes our work. Uh, That means our work has intrinsic value because in it we reflect the very image of God. Now, how do we reflect God's creative work? I'm going to look at a number of aspects of God's work, the first being his creative work. How can we reflect that in our work? Uh, I think it's by using the creativity he has given us for his honour. People in the arts, sculptors, actors, painters, musicians, poets and so on, they display this kind of work, as do interior designers, metal workers, carpenters, builders, fashion designers, architects, landscapers and urban planners, even perhaps you and me in our own backyards. Uh, We often forget that Jesus himself perfectly obeyed and honoured God the Father by working as a carpenter for about 15 years of his life before his public ministry began. Friends, let's do our best to discover and develop the creative gifts God has given us and use them for his glory. Now, some professions have the joy of explaining God's creative work to others. People like teachers, scientists, archaeologists, journalists, scholars and and writers all have the opportunity to glorify God uh, in in this way. And if you're a student, if you're one that sits under those kinds of people, we honour God by learning well as the amazing order and wonder of creation is explained to us. Now God not only created everything, but by his power he sustains it and provides for it. How can we reflect God's sustaining and providing work in what we do? All kinds of workers do this. 
Bureaucrats, council workers, policy makers, shopkeepers, farmers, firemen, tradies, printers, transport workers, IT specialists, entrepreneurs, bankers and brokers, meteorologists, research technicians, civil uh, servants, I was going to say civil celebrants, them too, uh, business school professors, uh, mechanic, building inspectors, machinists, plumbers, welders, cleaners, everyone who keeps the economic and political order working smoothly. I was going to try and say that all in one breath. Failed. Does it kind of feel like I'm, I'm reading you out, you know, the, the, the back of the university's book or, or a job uh, description? But isn't it amazing? In all these different kinds of jobs, we have the opportunity to work in ways that God is at work. Colossians 3.23 puts it really helpfully. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for people. Let's honour God by working with skill and creativity and wisdom and diligence. Our work then becomes an act of worship, our lives given to God for his use in the workplace. Living sacrifices, as Paul called it in Romans 12, devoted to pleasing God. That's good work. But work doesn't always feel good, does it? That's because sin has damaged every relationship that we were made to enjoy, even our relationship with work, what we do. We see this in Genesis chapter 3, and it uses the picture of working a garden, but instead of being a labour of love, it's now painful toil. And even the ground itself is against us by producing thorns. That's true of all of us. No matter what we do, our experience of work involves both pleasure and pain. It involves fruitfulness, but also frustration. Work itself is still good, but it's been spoilt by our sin in all kinds of ways. Here's a few ways sin spoils work. We're all in danger of turning work into an idol. What does this look like? How do we recognise it? Well, when you allow your work to become the measure of your worth. When you allow the type of job you have, especially if you have a like white-collar type job, or how good you are at doing it, or how successful you are, to determine how you feel about yourself. The person who makes work into an idol either becomes arrogant with success and, and thinks they're an, an expert at kind of everything, and then they have to keep being successful just to maintain this fragile self that they've constructed, or they feel like a, a subhuman failure because they aren't as gifted as the next person, or they have a second-rate job in their opinion, or they're struggling to get a job at all. Friends, as Christians, our identity is not in what we do. It's in who we are as God's children. Our identity comes from him. His indwelling spirit reminds us that we are made by God, loved by God, saved by him at the cost of his son, in whom we are forgiven and granted an eternal inheritance. 
Friends, that's a really secure identity. Creation, then the fall. The next one is redemption or rescue. Exodus chapter 33, verses 6 and 7, describes God in this way. He is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. How can we reflect God's work of redemption? How can we reflect both his justice and yet his love and compassion? When we maintain justice or seek to reverse or restrain the harmful impacts of sin. People like barristers, lawyers, legal secretaries, prison wardens, guards, diplomats, supervisors, uh, administrators, police, they all participate in God's work of maintaining justice. People like doctors and nurses, paramedics, psychologists, therapists, social workers, pharmacists, community workers, non-profit agencies, ambulance officers, counsellors, welfare, welfare agents and, and stay-at-home uh, parents caring for little ones, they all help bring comfort and help in a sin-broken world. So do writers, artists, producers, songwriters, poets and actors who incorporate redemptive elements in their work. Can I say, by our work, we cannot save anyone spiritually. Only Jesus' work on the cross does that. But in our work, we can help to minimise and reverse some of the damage of sin. Then there are those whose privilege and responsibility it is to, to point directly to our Redeemer directly to Jesus. This includes all those in gospel ministry, pastors, evangelists, those in kids and youth ministry, SRE teachers, missionaries and so on. If that's you, be a good signpost. Point clearly and boldly to Jesus. Lastly, God is carrying all of creation toward a glorious conclusion, the renewal of of all things in the new creation, when Jesus returns and sits on his glorious throne as Saviour and Judge and Lord. Sin and death, disease and decay, Satan and all evil will be gone as believers enjoy eternal life with God himself. And our work there will always be fruitful and full of joy. No more frustration. No more pain, no more difficulty. What a glorious experience that will be. So there you go. There is a whirlwind tour of the whole Bible and how God is at work in it so we can learn to reflect his image in our work. Now, is anyone here, and I didn't say your particular line of work, like I really tried to cover everything at some point. Did I get you all? Hopefully. Well, like, if I missed you, I'm terribly sorry. But the point is this. The point is this. No matter what you do, your work has great value in the sight of God. It is a place where you can reflect His image by what you do and how you do it. Being honest workers, ethical workers, caring workers, faithful workers and salt and light type of workers is a wonderful thing in our attitudes. But what we do 
in, in our work itself can reflect the work and image of God. Your work is something that God can use to bring about his good purposes in the world. And this gives our work great dignity and purpose. And working well is one way you can earn the respect of others with whom you might just be able to share the gospel. Let me finish with a story. It's not from this church, but I heard it just this week and I was so encouraged by it. An account manager, a church member, uh, he had recruited several employees uh, for a particular portfolio and after several months they were reviewed. One of the workers had underperformed and the CEO of the company was going to fire her. Well, the account manager met with the CEO and explained that well, look, he was at least in part responsible you know, for not training her well and investing in uh, her, her uh, development and, uh, and so on. Uh, she was allowed to stay. So when she met with the account manager, knowing kind of what had gone on, she was absolutely flabbergasted. Why did you do it? She asked. I mean, she was so grateful. But Why? He kind of avoided it, so she pressed. I don't get it, she said. In all the jobs I've had before, my superiors always take the credit for what I do. But they never take the blame. Why did you take the blame? Well, it took a while, but eventually she got a response. And he said, it's because I'm a Christian and Jesus took the blame for me. You know, Jesus could have said to God the Father, oh, forget that one. He's messed up, seriously. But he didn't. He took the blame for me. You know what she said? She said, what church do you go to? And she showed up from that time on. Dear friends, let's keep honouring God with the productive use of our time. Amen.